Please be seated. Thank you. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. Mark, chapter 2, and we'll be reading verses 13 to 22. It is page 708, 708 in the Pew Bible. 708 in the Pew Bible, Mark, chapter 2, and we're going to begin reading at verse 13 and going through verse 22. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus. Now, Levi, by the way, this is Matthew. He'll later become known as Matthew, and he was the fellow who actually wrote one of the four Gospels, the Gospel of Matthew. So, Jesus sees Matthew... Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. I assuming many sinners. <laughs> and when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Well, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people uh, came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not. And by the way, the tradition was every Tuesday and Friday, or I mean Monday and Thursday, uh, was a day of fasting from sunrise to sunup, or sunset. And uh, they're wondering, why doesn't Jesus fast on every Monday and Thursday? Uh, and Jesus answered in verse 19, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. And that would be Good Friday, when the Lord goes uh, is buried in the tomb. Verse 21. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth to an old garment. If he does, the new piece will, be put, uh, will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No one, no, he pours, he pours new wine into new wineskins. Let's pray. Father, this is such groundbreaking material, and I pray that our hearts will be receptive to what it is that you're leading us to believe and teach and uh, to embrace the newness that Christ brings. In Jesus' name, amen. It was 1967 when uh, Spencer Tracy and Katherine Hepburn appeared together in their ninth and final film. And uh, 50 years later, in 2017, that film was actually selected by the United States National Film Registry by the, library, for the, by the Library of Congress as being culturally, 
historically and aesthetically significant. In other words, it was preserved in the United States National Film Registry. By the way, that film also starred Sidney Poitier and was entitled, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner? Well, guess who's coming to dinner today? It is Jesus. In fact, he is the guest of honor at a dinner party of tax collectors and sinners. And this is going to ruffle some feathers, to say the least. Um, The religious leaders are going to have a problem, and we'll talk about that. But, you know, it does beg the question, and the religious leaders ask the disciples this question. Why does Jesus eat with sinners? Why does he fellowship with sinners? Why does Jesus, why is he hobnobbing with sinners and tax collectors? And the answer that Jesus gives is groundbreaking. In today's passage, Jesus and his disciples are eating dinner in the home of Matthew, the tax collector. And and let me mention that there are actually 10 occasions in the Bible where we read where Jesus sat down at a dinner table in someone's home. And who he ate with is important. It is, a, it is, it is an important uh, to his message and to his ministry. And, today, and in today's passage, we're going to learn some things about Jesus you don't learn anywhere else. And we're going to learn what it is he came to accomplish. This is groundbreaking. This is new. In fact, Jesus is bringing in a whole new era. That's what it is about. And Jesus is about to go where no rabbi has ever gone before. This passage really introduces us to the level of changes and the extent of the changes that Jesus is bringing to this world. He is bringing a newness of life that can only be described with three terms. He's bringing a new priority, a new proximity, and a new piety to us. Let's look at this. He is bringing, Jesus brings, a new priority. In today's passage, Jesus is going to make what I think is probably his boldest move. Certainly his most controversial move when he selects his fifth disciple. He already has selected four. Today he's going to select his fifth disciple. And it is a controversial selection. Take a look at verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. And a large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Jesus invites a tax collector to be one of his disciples. Let me tell you, this just wasn't done. Tax collectors were the most reviled people in all of Israel. They were considered by the, by the uh, people to be thieves and robbers. In fact, they were banned from entering a synagogue. And they were banned from entering onto the temple grounds. 
And no self-respecting rabbi is ever going to associate with a tax collector, much less invite one to be a disciple. And yet Jesus, he sees Matthew sitting at his tax collector booth, and Jesus walks up and says, follow me. And if that's not stunning enough, Matthew actually gets up and follows I mean, Matthew throws caution to the wind. He leaves everything behind. And he gets up and he follows Jesus. And as far as we know, Jesus and Matthew had never met before in their lives. And yet Jesus walks up and simply says, follow me. What, what would compel a man to literally leave his life work? What would compel a man to leave Everything he's worked for and accomplished in his life to follow Jesus. What would compel a man to do that? There is only one thing that powerful. And that is the call of Jesus Christ. When he says, follow me. That is a powerful thing. Do you know why we are Christians today? We are a Christian because somewhere in our past, somewhere in our past, Jesus confronted us. And do you know what he said? Follow me. And we were compelled. You know, becoming a Christian is unlike anything else you'll ever do in life. It's it's not like... It's not, for example, uh, the result of a, of a process where, well, you know, I studied uh, Islam and then I, I studied Buddhism for a while and I studied Hinduism and I studied Christianity. And, you know, at the end of all this study, I kind of thought to myself in comparing and contrasting all these religions, I finally decided on Christianity. Well, because I like the stained glass and I like the liturgy and, you know, I like all the things of Christianity No, that's not how we become a Christian. We become a Christian when Christ confronts us and he says, follow me. And when he says that, we are so compelled, we are so drawn to him, we follow. And we've been following ever since. And when he says, come follow me, and by the way, our call is not exactly like Matthew. I mean, we don't necessarily walk away from our job or our families. But what does happen, Jesus becomes our priority in life. He is, in other words, everything else becomes secondary in life. You know, when I was a, a chaplain at, at Baylor, and when I was in seminary, I was working on my CPE certification as a chaplain. And back then, this was back in the early 80s, uh, we had pagers. You know, this was before cell phones. We had a pager. And if that pager ever beeped, we were required immediately to either report to the chaplain's office on the first floor there at Truett, or we were to call on one of the phones in the hospital if we were up in Roberts somewhere. Because that call was important. And if I was with a patient, I would excuse myself. If I was on break in the break room, I got up immediately, went to the chaplain's office. If I was even if I was eating lunch, I had to leave my lunch and report to the chaplain's office or call in because that call took priority 
over everything else I was doing. I was no longer in control. Someone else was directing me at that moment. And when Jesus rings your beeper, when your pager goes off and he says, follow me, that's what happens. We follow him. And that's our priority now. Our new priority in life is following Jesus. So let's take a look. Now that's first. Now let's look second of all. Not only does Jesus bring us a new priority, he brings to us a new proximity. Matthew, he's pretty excited about being a disciple of Jesus. And so he decides, I'm going to have a dinner party. I'm going to invite my family. I'm going to invite my friends. And he invites, he invites the local chapter of tax collectors. <laughs> and they're all there in, in Matthew's house. And by the way, you know why Matthew invites Jesus into his home? Because he's already invited him into his heart. And he invites him into his home. And there is Jesus sitting at a table with, at the local, with the local chapter of tax collectors and other kinds of sinners. Now, this is huge. This is significant. You have to understand that in biblical times, eating a meal with somebody was a, was a time of close fellowship. This, meals are what brought people together. It's what brought families together. It's what brought people together. And life's hardest issues were discussed and worked through. Meals were, were regarded as highly relational, highly personal, highly influential. That's where barriers would come down. And people would speak openly and freely. And many times people will become like those that they eat with. You know, when I was in seminary, we would have what we called brown bag lunches. And we would uh, have a professor there, and we would sit at a table, a group of us, and we would eat our lunch, and he would eat his lunch, and we would begin to talk about maybe the theology, or a passage of scripture, or about ministry. And let me tell you, those brown bag lunches were more influential in my life than all the lectures I went to. They were more influential in my ministry than uh, all the assignments that I completed. Those were very intimate, influential moments. And the religious leaders understand that when Jesus is sitting down at a table... And he is in fellowship with all of these tax collectors and sinners. This is significant. In fact, after the meal, notice verse 16. Verse 16. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, when they saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why? Why? Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? By the way, you know what they're concerned about? They are concerned about contamination. Do we know anything about contamination? <laughs> Do we know anything about social distancing? That there are some people you socially distance from because you don't want to get contaminated? Let's just pretend there's a virus out there. All right? 
and there are people who have the virus and you don't want to get close to them because they'll give it to you. Well, tax collectors and sinners have a virus. They're morally corrupt people. You don't associate with them, much less sit down at a... Can you imagine sitting down at a dinner table with someone with the virus and sharing a meal together? You know, as the, the religious leaders are watching Jesus eating at the table with all of these sinners and, and they're thinking, this is a super spreader. I mean, he, he is spreading disease every bad. Remember the old saying, bad company corrupts good morals. And, and before we, we rip into the religious leaders here, let me say, they do have a point. If you read the book of Leviticus, and we all do that regularly, I'm sure. <laughs> what you read in that book are all of these dietary laws. Right? I mean, you can't eat this animal, you can't eat that animal. The Jewish people, God gave the Jewish people a long list of animals they could not eat and things they could not eat. And then with the list of animals they could eat, it had to all be prepared in a certain specific manner. We call it kosher. Why did God do that? Because he wanted to put a barrier between the Israelites and the pagan nations who worshipped idols. And you know how you do that? The Israelites could not sit down at a dinner table with a pagan neighbor because they didn't share the same foods. They didn't prepare their foods the same way. And it kept the Israelites separated because God knew that if the Israelites began to eat dinner and fellowship with all of these pagans, what would happen? Why, they would become like the pagans. That's kind of what happened anyway. But that, that was the whole motive behind the Levitical system. Separating. Dietary laws of the Old Testament were designed to separate the Israelites from all of those pagan influences. And here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus. And he's sitting down at a dinner table with sinners. He is corrupting the morals of the nation. And now Jesus is responding. He responds to their questioning about his associations. Notice verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor. It is the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This pronouncement has two parts to it. There is a, a proverb, there's a proverb, and then a mission statement. Let's look at the proverb. It is not healthy for, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Oh, we all, we all know that, right? What is the doctor's primary responsibility? Treating the sick. That is, so it is natural for a doctor to be, around sick people all day long. If you go to the doctor and you sit in the doctor's office, who are all these people sitting around you? They're sick people. And all day long, the doctor is around people who are sick. And Jesus says, I'm a physician. I am a physician of the soul. And I have come to bring healing to sinners. I've come to bring forgiveness to sinners. That's what he's getting at. 
Now, we see that in his mission statement. Notice his mission statement. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. That's my mission. What does he mean by the call? He says, I have not come to call. What's the call? Follow me. Be my disciple. Come and be part of a movement that will later become known as Christianity. He says, I've not come to call who? The righteous. Now there's two groups of people. The righteous and the sinner. Who are the righteous? They are the religious leaders. In this context, they are the religious leaders. And who are the sinners? They are the tax collectors. Now, Jesus is speaking from the standpoint of one's perspective of oneself. And the religious leaders perceive themselves to be righteous. Now, are they really righteous? No. They're sinners. But they perceive themselves as righteous. And Jesus said, I've not come to call you. You don't understand. You're like the person who doesn't know they're sick. But the sinner are the tax collectors, and they know they're sinners. If you were to ask a tax collector, are you a sinner? They would say, yeah, I'm a sinner. I'm no doubt about it. And the bottom line, though, is, you know what? We're all sinners. Every one of us. Did you, have, you, have you heard the story about the, the trial that was taking place? And uh, the first person called up on the witness stand was a, was a grandmotherly kind of person. Kind of like an Aunt B. A grandmotherly person. And this was her first time to ever be in a courtroom. And she, you could tell she was very nervous. And so the prosecutor comes up and he says, he says, do you know who I am? And this dear little lady says, yes, I certainly do know. You were the young boy that moved in across the street. Uh, your family, uh, when, I was just a, when you were just a boy, and I watched you grow up. And, and to be honest with you, you've, you've become a considerable disappointment to me. You lie, you cheat, you don't know. The, you think you're a big shot lawyer, and you're just a big liar. Well, the, the prosecutor steps back a minute, and he thinks, oh boy. And, and he, he regroups himself a little bit, and he says, now, do you know who this gentleman over here is? Pointing to the defense attorney. And she said, oh, I most certainly know who he is. I used to babysit him when he was smaller than you were. And I watched him grow up. And he, too, is a considerable disappointment. He runs the sleaziest law firm in the whole state. That man wouldn't know the truth if it ever walked in front of him. Well, at that, at that the judge pounds, you know, the gavel on the bench. And he calls both of those attorneys up in front. And he says to them, if either of you ask her if she knows me, I will hold you in contempt. Because we're all sinners, aren't we? You bet we are. And you know, Mark, by the way, does a masterful job of weaving together the tax collectors, the sinners, and the disciples. You notice verse 15. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. Jesus is right in the middle of this group because he's the physician that can heal them. It doesn't matter who you are. A disciple is, no, is, no, is nothing more than a, a sinner who's been called to follow Christ. 
It's amazing how Mark just kind of superimposes all of them together in a group. You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many sins you've committed. It doesn't matter how great your sins are. Jesus says, there's no sin I cannot forgive. There is no number of sins I cannot forgive. No matter how guilty you feel, no matter how ashamed you feel, no matter how defiled you feel, Jesus says, I can heal you. I can heal you on the spot. I can heal you instantly. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when we we looked at that leper who came to Jesus and the leper says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And the man was covered in leprosy. And remember, Jesus reaches out and grabs the man. And by all natural law, Jesus should have been contaminated. But what really happened? The man was cleansed of his leprosy. And the point that Jesus is making is that uh, you cannot defile me. My holiness is greater than your sinfulness. And I can reach out and heal you. Jesus is saying, I'm not like all the other religious leaders. I am the great physician. And I can bring healing and cleansing. And by doing so, by reaching out, he grabs us and pulls us into a close proximity with him. So first of all, we see that Jesus is bringing something new. A new priority in life. A new proximity with him. And then finally, let's look, a new piety. Now, some in the crowd, they were beginning to have some serious doubts about Jesus and his piety or his, his spirituality. Maybe we should put it that way. And it's because he isn't fasting. Everybody fasts. All the rabbis, the religious leaders, they all fast on every Monday and every Thursday. And Jesus and his disciples are not fasting. I mean, you can see their point. He's not fasting when he should be. He is eating with sinners and tax collectors when he shouldn't be. And people are beginning to question, is this man serious about his religion? Notice Jesus' response. Verse 19. Jesus answered, How can the guest of the bridegroom fast? While he is with them. They cannot. You know, by the way, where do you meet a bridegroom? At a wedding. This is wedding imagery. And Jesus is saying, a wedding, that's a time for joy and celebration. It's a time for singing and dancing and toasting. You don't fast at a wedding. Jesus says, I'm bringing in something new. Not fasting, no more. I'm bringing in something that's joyous. Something to celebrate. Something to sing about. In fact, it's all, it's so new. And and think about it this way. A wedding day. That is when a groom and a bride, they come together and they get married. And that signals, by the way, that they are about to enter into a whole new chapter in their lives. And that's what Jesus is trying to communicate. He says, I have come to bring a whole new chapter into history. And just as as a bride and a groom are coming together in this love relationship, Jesus says, that is probably the closest 
way of describing the relationship that I am now bringing to people. The relationship where he is the groom and we are the bride. And we are entering into not some kind of a religion, but into a relationship. He's talking about Christianity. He's talking about how as Christians, we have a relationship with him. Not a religion, but a relationship. And what Jesus is bringing is not compatible with what has been for all this time. Notice verse number uh, 21. No one sews a patch of unshrunk shrunk cloth to an old garment. And then he goes on to talk about nobody puts new wine in old wineskins. Because you cannot mix Christianity with religion. Jesus says, I'm bringing something new. Something so new, it will not mix with anything else. Especially religion. So here's what I want us to take home today. Jesus is telling us, he has come. Why did Jesus eat with sinners and tax collectors? Because he has come to call us out of religion and into a relationship with him. Religion is being, religion, religion is all about following the protocol. Religion is all about following um, the rituals and, and the liturgy. It's all about following the rules about fasting and Sabbath days and dietary laws. Religion is all about following the protocol. Christianity is about following Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, Debbie and I had to call the insurance company. Have you ever tried to call your insurance company? You, you, you dial the 800 number and what do you get? A recording. You know, and it's always, uh, listen carefully to the menu because we've changed it since yesterday, you know. And so, dot, press 1 for this, press 2 for that, press 3, and you get to 9, and at 9 it says, if you'd like to hear the menu again, press 9, you know. And Debbie and I are trying to figure out which one of these fits our situation. Well, I think 4 does. Okay, let's press 4. We press 4, and what do you get? You get more menu. If you like this, if you like that, you know what? That's religion. You have a menu. You have a protocol. But with Christianity, you have a person. And it's Jesus. And he answers your call. You know, I don't know if you have heard the call of the Lord on your life and you come to faith in him. But if you haven't, respond to that call. Come to the Lord. And maybe you've kind of wandered away from the Lord over the years. Come back. Follow him more closely. He would love for you to be as close to him in proximity as you can get. And enjoy that relationship that he wants you to have with him. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for this wonderful passage that reminds us that Christ has come to bring in all these new things. A relationship where we leave all the old things behind. And Father, I pray that if there's someone here today who's never answered your call to follow, today they will. And for those of us who have, I pray, Father, we'll renew that commitment to following you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together, You Are My All in All, two stanzas.
are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I seek. You are my all in all. Seeking you as a precious jewel. Lord, to give up I'd be a fool. You are my all in all. Jesus, Lamb of God, worthy is your name. Jesus, Lamb of God, Rising again, I bless your name. You are my all in all. When I fall down, you pick me up. When I am dry, you fill my cup. You are my all in all. Jesus, like to pray with someone or have a question uh, the elders are here I'm up front we would be glad to speak with you and um, if you're going to be in my class this afternoon pick up one of the uh, assignments Steve <laughs> one of them back in the back and uh, take that with you especially if you're going to be watching by zoom today you'll need that at home uh, we'll have them here in the DFC if you don't get it this morning and you're coming back and if you're watching by the video if you'll let us know we will mail one to you. You've got plenty of time to get it in and get your grade. No problem. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's good to be here today and to worship the Lord. And let's have a closing prayer. Father, again, thank you for, for loving us and reaching down and providing a way of salvation. Thank you for our Savior who, who calls us to follow him and touches us and cleanses us of our sin. And uh, Father, you've provided everything we need. And we're so thankful. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may he lift up his countenance upon you and bring you peace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Comfort give you 
take it, then where you go, precious name, oh how sweet, hope of earth and joy of heaven, precious name, oh how sweet, hope of earth and joy of heaven. 